and we thank you for being good. We thank you for running after us with your goodness. Uh, Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely you're running after us with your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray and I ask that you'd be with us today as we come to your word. Um, Lord, the, the, the song says, uh, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. Lord, we come to your word. We come listening for your voice today. Lead us today, Father. God, we pray. Lord, we pray and we ask that um, you will speak to us. And Lord, here's what we want is just whatever you want to accomplish in us. Isaiah tells us that your word will not return unto you void. So whatever your voice speaks to us, Lord, we want to receive it. We don't want to presume to know what you have to say to us today. But we do pray that we will have open ears, open hearts, open minds, open eyes. Lord, we, we not only want to receive your word and, and understand what you're saying, Lord. Lord, we want to have a vision for how we can put your word into, into practice in our life. And then, Lord, that's our prayer is that when we go from this place, we will live according to your word. That your word will truly guide our steps. Be a light unto our path. A lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that it will guide our steps. That's our prayer this morning. Lord, we pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I shared a quote with y'all on uh, Friday in the uh, FBC Weekly email. Um, the email heard around the world. The FBC Weekly, right? Whenever it goes out, transmissions just go all out. Um, the Associated Press gets copies, right? No. Um, in the FBC Weekly, I shared with y'all this quote. It impresses me, says Henry Nguyen. It impresses me that all the figures who appear on the first pages of Luke's gospel are waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and Anna, who were at the temple when Jesus was brought in, are waiting. The whole opening scene of the good news is filled with waiting people. Interesting. It's impressive. Why is this impressive? Because as he continues, he says, waiting is not a very popular attitude. <clears throat> waiting is not something that people think about with great sympathy. Do you identify with these statements? In fact, most people consider waiting a waste of time. For many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. And people do not like such a place. They want to get out of it by doing something. Do you identify? Now, we know that this is, this is a common uh, uh, perception to all humanity. Uh, it's not unique to one people group, one tribe, one nation, one culture, right? Nobody uh, from the dawn of humanity has ever been content with what everybody could experience the frustrations that we just said. 
I want to go somewhere. I don't want to be here anymore, and I want to go somewhere, and I don't like the space between. I don't want to have to wait to get there. I want to be there now. Uh, while this has been a reality throughout all humanity, we can say that frustration with waiting uh, is exacerbated in our culture. In our culture that basically says, get going, do something, show you are able to make a difference. Don't just sit there and wait. In a culture that says such things, uh, frustrations with waiting are exacerbated, as we said, but also, doesn't that add a measure of shame? You're just waiting? You're not doing, you're not acting? When we add to these statements, get going, do something, don't just sit there and wait. When we add to this the, the near immediacy with which we can receive consumer goods from places like Amazon, we can have our questions answered through a simple Google search. You know, I was thinking about this today. People used to have to wonder about things. We don't have to wonder about things. Uh, my friends, uh, uh, will, they'll challenge, uh, they brought the challenge to me, and I don't live by it very well, but, but they'll go, like, hey, remember that song, and, or that movie, or that character, and they'll say, and like, you'll go to pick out, no, 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 don't Google it, use your brain. See if you can tap into that memory. But we could have the answer so much quicker. People used to have to wonder. I wonder about things. Maybe that's why the ancients gave us so much. I, I mean, we read ancient literature. Uh, the Bible and, and ancient literature outside of it, you can see that they're pondering some great mysteries of this world. They wonder about things. But we don't have to do that because through a quick, simple Google search, we can have all of our questions answered. Or we can find that there's a bunch of different answers to that question. Isn't that fun? We can also be whisked away from the presence of waiting. Think about this, from the presence of waiting. Through distractions like the scroll of a social media. Or the binge of a television show. When we can do that. When we can do all these things. When we can have our packages delivered today sometimes. When we can have all of our questions answered and then find out that now we have to figure out which answer is best. And when we can actually be in the place of waiting but not be present in the waiting. Then waiting becomes an incredibly inefficient nuisance. These are problems with waiting. We can identify them. While all these are factors into our discontent, our frustration, uh, the nuisance of waiting. Henry Nguyen really addresses the heart of the matter. And I think if we could give ear to this, we would all find, hey, there's something very, very important to what he's saying here. He says, waiting is hard. Because we are so fearful. We are afraid of feelings. 
We are afraid of other people. We are afraid of the future. Fear makes waiting hard. Because what happens when we're afraid? Y'all know the four common things that people do when they're afraid? They fight. They flee. Uh, they can freeze. And they can fawn. So when people are afraid, and, the, and they're afraid of waiting, they fight against it. Or they fight people in the midst of it. They become very aggressive and hostile. Uh, people try to skeep, escape. Have y'all ever escaped anything? People try to escape, flee the reality that we are waiting. Uh, people might become free, frozen, debilitated. And they might buy into this lie that waiting is a place to be frozen. People might fawn, and by fawning, usually, like, you are trying to negotiate, like, in a, in, a, in a dangerous situation, you would be trying to negotiate to, to bring the, uh, the, the, the conflict down. Whenever I think about this, I think when we negotiate with waiting, we lie, we buy into the lie that there's nothing actually on the other side that we're waiting for. We try to negotiate, I'm not waiting for anything, this is all that there is. <coughs> There's nothing more to be hoped for. So, so, so let me kill that longing in my heart that we talked about last week. Uh, any number of these is a response. So, fear is one of the reasons why you and I have such a hard time waiting is Henry Newman's supposition. It's not just that Amazon packages come faster and so now we've become less <laughs> uh, or we've become more irritable when we have to wait a little bit longer. Here's what we have to say. The Amazon packages come faster because we said we don't want to wait anymore. The Amazon packages Coming faster are not the uh, symptom, they're the byproduct of the symptom. They might exacerbate it, but there's something deep within us that says, I'm afraid I can't go another day without X, Y, Z. Why I think that this is a powerful and important uh, uh, supposition that he makes are many reasons, but what I think is very interesting is it is precisely because of fear that we have some of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. John 13, 14, 15, and 16 are some of those passages of Scripture where we have Jesus talking to his disciples, and yes, sometimes it is, it's a maze to get through some of the uh, uh, parabolic ways in which Jesus is talking. But from these chapters, we find 
Jesus addressing his disciples directly before he's about to face the cross. We find Jesus addressing his disciples and the whole reason why we don't have Jesus stopping with a statement that he makes in John 13, verse number 33, is because his disciples are afraid. His disciples are afraid, and Jesus doesn't say, well, get over it, stop being scared. Jesus meets them in their fear, and Jesus begins to shepherd them through this season, and he is Meeting them in this fear that they've just found out that he is leaving. He is leaving. He's going away. And he hasn't told them where he's going yet. And all he said is, you can't come with me. Initially. And in this moment of fear of He's going away, and now what? What are we going to do then? Uh, Jesus begins to encourage his disciples. There's a lot that he gives to encourage them, and we will not have the time to give all that he encourages them with in John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. So today, what I want us to focus on What I really want us to focus on is the promises that he gives them in these chapters. The promises that he gives them. And what we find at the conclusion of these these chapters is what Jesus says uh, over in John chapter number 16. Verse number 33. All these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. I've spoken all these things to you so that while you're waiting, you won't be afraid. While you're waiting, you can be at peace. You can be at peace in the world where you have tribulation. You can have peace in me because I have overcome the world. So, with that, let us attend to the promises that Jesus gives his disciples in these chapters. The first promise is this. I'm coming back. In John 13, verse 33... Jesus says, oh, verse 31. After Judas goes out, Jesus begins speaking. He says, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. This is why although these are the greatest, some of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, that's a tongue twister, isn't it? God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him and in himself and straightway shall all glorify, 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 glorify. Somebody's getting glorified. You're getting glorified. I'm getting glorified. We're all getting glorified, right? Jesus is saying it is time for God to be made known in me. For God's 
character person fully to be realized. It's time for God to fully make known who I am. To raise me up to my full stature. It's time. It is time. But. Little children. But. A little while am I with you. I'm only here with you for a little bit longer. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews. He said this earlier in John's gospel. He said, I'm going somewhere where you can't find me. He said, just like I said to the Jews, y'all heard me tell the Jews, I'm getting out of town and you won't be able to find me for a little while. Here's what I'm telling you. Whither I go, you cannot come. Just like I told them, I told you. And then Jesus goes on and he says, okay, so here's the reality of things, guys. I'm about to be glorified. The Father's about to exalt me. And whenever he does that, he's going to be glorified in me. And, 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 and him glorifying me is going to bring him glory. And, and Straight. I'm not going to be here for a bit. I only have a little bit longer with you. And then I'm going away. And where I go, you cannot come. And I love this. And then he just kind of moves on. Like, like this wasn't going to be a bomb dropped on his disciples. He doesn't give them space. He doesn't give a pregnant pause. He just goes, now, here's what I want you to do. While I'm gone, I'm going to leave you this commandment. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. Or uh, I give unto you the commandment that ye love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. And, and this is the way that all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Here's just an aside. People don't know you're Jesus' disciple by what Bible translation you use. People don't know that you're Jesus' disciple by any number of standard you and I can put on it. And I'm not going to go through all the list. Uh, people will know that you are Jesus' disciple when somebody who is very different from you in sexuality and ideology and political, uh, uh, political leanings and affiliations, when that person is treated by you with decency, humanity, respect, and love. When you are patient with that person, and instead of saying, let me tell you something, buddy, when you say, hey, let me hear your story. I can endure your story. I can, let me hear your perspective. I bet you have a different perspective than me. And I can, I can, I'm long-suffering, I'm patient, because I have the Holy Spirit of Jesus in me, and I can listen to you. This world might not want to listen to you, but we who are Jesus' disciples will listen to you. We want to know what makes you think and experience and believe the things that you think and experience. I don't want to suppose I know these things. I want to hear your story. And then they tell you. And you can show them gentleness and kindness. 
and meekness. Even if you disagree. Could you imagine such a thing? Could you imagine such a world? Could you imagine such a social media platform? It's how you love one another. Yes, that involves us in this room loving each other well. But what does Jesus say here? Just as I have loved you, you love one another, and this is the way. This is the way that people know that you're my disciples. This, Jesus, he just sweeps right into that, drops this bomb, I'm leaving, <laughs> was it, I'll see y'all, and you can't follow me. What was his first words to his disciples? Follow me. And now he's saying, you won't be able to follow me. All right, so while I'm gone, I just want you to love one another. Look how Peter responds to this. Where are you going? Wait, wait a minute. Let's back up a second. We, we've heard the love one another stuff before. We've never heard this thing that you said you're about to leave us and we can't follow you. Where are you going? Y'all see the fear. The anxiety. The fright. And what's Peter's resolve? Peter's going to fight against this. Right? He's going to fight right against this. Where are you going? Jesus says. Where I'm going right now, you can't follow me, but later you can come with me. Peter, nope, 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 not waiting for later. I'm not waiting for later, buddy. Let's get this done right now. I'm fighting against this term, wait. <laughs> I'm fighting against this in-between time where, where you are going somewhere and, and, and one day I'll be able to go with you. That doesn't leave me content with where I am right now. I just want to get there. So what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Yeah, I can already see Peter just bowing up like, all right, come on. Come on. You know, like, tell me. Come on. Tell me. What do, what do I need to do to get there? Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter. Not now. Later. And he says, why can I not follow you now? Don't you know I will lay down my life for your sake? You, you know who you're talking to? You're talking to Peter. Peter, the fighter. Not Peter, the coward. Not Peter, the waiter. You are talking to Peter who acts and makes things happen. I'll follow you now. I'll lay down my life for thy sake. No, you won't, Peter. Are you ready for it, Peter? We could keep going with this whole story this way. We will not have time to do that. But this is the reality. His disciples are anxious and afraid. And so then Jesus begins to continue on to shepherd them. 
hey, I said I'm going. He tells Peter, he said, you'll be able to come with me later. John 14, number one, I said Jesus' first thing is to say, I will come again. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Hey, y'all, <laughs> get a lot of fear and anxiety going on in this room. We just had a beautiful meal together. We just had a really sweet time together. I just, I, I just, I just put a, a towel around my, my, my waist. I bent down and I washed your feet. Remember that? That spirit's gone. Because I had to tell you a hard truth, and now that spirit is completely disrupted. Your hearts are troubled. I see that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Uh, in my Father's house, there are rooms added to rooms, added to rooms, added to rooms, added to rooms. My father's house is big enough for you all. If it were not so, I would have told you. Guys, here's where I'm going. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, most people want to get, give you a vision of what that looks like. Here's what I know. We haven't experienced it yet. I don't know what it's going to look like. You know what? I know a lot of people had suppositions about what it would look like whenever he first came, and none of them imagined that he was going to be born into an impoverished family and that he was going to uh, be in a manger and that he would be actually rejected by the authorities of his day. People thought, and we get this with the wise men from the east in the story, they thought if he's a king, he's going, to be, he's going to be born into the palace. So where did they go? They went to Herod's palace and they said, hey, where's your new baby? And Herod goes, new baby? <laughs> well, what are you talking about, guys? He talked about there is a, there's a contender for my throne. Let me hear about this guy. Oh, well, they're saying he's born in Bethlehem. Y'all go find him down there in Bethlehem. Hey, do me a favor. <laughs> After y'all are down there in Bethlehem, I would love to come see this little rapscallion. Love to come see this guy, right? See, they went to the palace because nobody could imagine a king coming and i know we have the story of revelation and i know we have this picture of he says hey behold he comes riding on a horse and he has truth and justice like tattooed on his thigh and, and we think like yeah jesus here's what we here's if we if we don't understand things we will we will destroy i think everything that john's trying to do in revelation if jesus came and he was humbled and he served and he was willing to die the first time we need to understand that's the nature of our king and his kingdom. It doesn't change the second time. The second time he doesn't go, oh man, it was good that I was humbled in, but I'm ready to kick some booty now. We cannot do that. We have to understand if the nature of his kingdom was revealed in him humbling himself into even a tiny baby who was susceptible and vulnerable to Herod and his henchmen. So they had to flee Egypt. If he was vulnerable then, whatever image John is trying to portray for us, 
It is not to remove his humility. It's not to remove his vulnerability. It's not to remove his servitude. That is the nature of our king. And so, however you imagine him coming again, and I don't care if you say he's going to come again after there's seven years of tribulation or before there's seven years of tribulation or or let me look at the sky and there's a blood red moon, he's coming again or or look at what's going on in, in the world, he's coming. No, he just told us he's coming again. And when he comes, his character will look as it did before. It will not be different. I will come again is the first thing. The second thing is this. I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. If you go and you look in Mark uh, chapter number 13 or 1 Thessalonians, that, that great passage that we read at funerals often, if you get what's happening here is all of those passages, the promise is Jesus gathering all of God's people together into himself. I'm, I'm bringing you to me. I'm bringing, I'm going to gather you together. Here's the, the first promise is I'm coming again. The second promise that he gives and, and, and I'm coming to collect my family. See, why I want us to focus on these promises is because we often see the mansion and we're like, he's promised me a mansion. That's fine, but that's so superficial. I'm getting more jewels in my crown. Superficial. Those are images even to reveal to us that anything that we, that we, anything that we've accomplished actually Anything that we have actually accomplished, which is celebrated by him, is to be returned to him. What he's doing is he's gathering us unto himself. We're going to be in his presence. This might not seem like a big deal, but think about this. In the Old Testament, the temple said, here's the presence of the Lord. Here's where God dwells. And Jesus says, I'm the new temple. I'm bringing you to me. And then he goes on with the third thing that he tells them. I'm going to uh, uh, take you where I am so that where I am there you may be also. And where is he going? He tells us, I'm going to the Father. He says this in. Verse number five, Thomas says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Essentially, Jesus says, follow me. Hey, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Just follow me, Philip. Or follow me, Thomas. And then he tells us, no man comes unto the Father but by me. You know where I'm going? I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be in his presence. Now, here's what we need to do then. These are the things that Jesus has promised us. I'm the reality is I'm going away. The, the, the promise is, is I'm going to come again. And I'm not just going to come again and show up. I'm going to come again and I'm going to collect you. I'm going to gather you up. 
And that's not even the full extent of it. I'm going to gather you up so that I can take you and we can be with the Father and we can all be together. Now we have to start imagining what's it like in the presence of God. Do you think in the presence of God there's corruption in the courts? Do you think in the presence of God There's immorality. Pagan, pagan practice and a lot of pagan ritual practice always involves like sexual, like gross sexual immorality. And they would do this before the gods, before the gods of fertility. They would practice all sorts of gross sexual immorality. Not in the presence of God the Father. Jesus will go on in these chapters to give them some another promise. He will go on to say, hey, even though I'm going and it's going to be a while, you don't know you don't know how to get to where I'm going. You can't follow me where I'm going now, but later you will be able to get to where I'm going. But here's the promise. I'm going to come again. Here's the promise. I'm coming to gather you together. Here's the promise. I'm coming to bring you to the Father, put you in the presence of the Father, to live in his home, in his house, with his rules, with his character, dominating everything, with his authority, reigning over everything with his love generating everything, with his peace. His peace exuding everywhere. And until then, I'm sending you the comforter. Here's the promise in the midst of the promise and the weight of the promise is we are not waiting alone. I'm sending you the comforter. Jesus says in John chapter number 14, verse number 15, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Listen. I know I just dropped some news on you. I'm going away. You can't come. <laughs> you can't follow me. But listen, I'm, I'm actually going to come again. I'm actually going to come again. And, and, and my, my purpose in coming again is to gather you all up, gather you together. And I'm going to take you to the Father, and we're going to be in the presence of the Father together. And now we can imagine what that looks like. And let's not be superficial about it. I know I just troubled your hearts with what I was saying. That's what's funny about John 14, verse number one. Oh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Okay, it's easy for you to say, Jesus, you just dropped a bomb on us. But then he goes on and he says, hey, you know what? 
Not only do I want this promise, this hope that I'm coming again, this promise, this hope that I'm going to gather you together, this promise, this hope that I'm going to bring you into the presence of my Father. Not only do I want that to comfort you, here's what I also want to comfort you. The promise until then. Until the time that I return, I'm going to pray to the Father to send you another comforter because I don't want to leave you comfortless. So we have the Holy Spirit of God. In the midst of our waiting, Paul calls the Holy Spirit of God the seal that we actually have an inheritance for which we are waiting. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So that you know that it's true that I'm coming again, that I'm going to gather you together, that I'm going to bring you to my Father, so that you know these things, I am sending my Spirit. And then after he says, a whole lot of other things to clarify and to speak into their life in this troubled moment. He says, everything that I've just spoken to you is so that you might have peace. So that your fearful hearts could be calmed down. So that some of those anxieties about waiting for me would be eased. This world will not offer you peace. In the waiting, distracting yourself will not offer you peace. In the waiting, uh, 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 doing everything you can so that you get everything right away will not give you peace. In the waiting, in the waiting, acting like this world, corrupt and unjust and immoral, will not bring you peace. In the waiting, following Jesus. The one who has overcome the world. Receiving his promises. Hoping in them. Trusting in them. Walking in the power and the might. And the beauty of his spirit. Living his character. Which is not humble and proud and vain and boisterous. But is meek and lowly. And gracious and hospitable. These things will give you peace. See, the problem with waiting is not just that everything can happen in a moment for us. The problem with waiting is you and I are so afraid. But Jesus has spoken the words to give us peace. My brothers and my sisters, will we receive his peace today? Amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. God, I pray and I ask that these words will give us peace, that you, what you've said, will give us peace, Lord, that we will get, have peace in knowing this, you are coming again. I don't know what that looks like. I can imagine it. I can read scripture and I can interpret some things. Uh, I could uh, see the images, but Lord, here's what I know is you are coming again.